thing, recording a podcast. Takes away everything a man has, and everything he'll ever have. And hello, and welcome to episode 36 of Ribbon of Memes, a podcast where we interrogate films previously described by other desperados, not sure that's the right word for this, (laughs) as masterpieces. I am joined, as ever, by the relentless... I think I did that last time, sorry. Roger. I didn't think it was that bad. (laughs) I mean, sometimes I even quite enjoy this. Uh, You're going to let me out soon. (laughs) Shut up, stay in the box. Um, And I am Nick, and we are here to discuss our first Clint Eastwood film, Um, either as actor or director, which he done both in this one, because we are discussing 1992's Unforgiven. Mm. 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 One of our is it our first? It's our first actual western. We've we've certainly had a lot of films in Texas, western <laughs> adjacent, uh, and maybe neo western. Yeah, uh, but well, I, I remember when this came out. Um, that this is a film I saw in the cinema pretty much on first run. Right. Um, that it was being described as a revisionist western, as if that were a completely new thing, and you know, nobody has ever done a revisionist western before. That's my memory of this too. This was like a new take on the kind of West you've never seen a Western like this. This is the, yeah, exactly. I, I agree that I, I don't know if it was the marketing or the word of mouth, but that was certainly the impression given of uh, Unforgiven. And, and if one looked at it, really, I mean, considering how, uh, constrained your, your, your classical non-revisionist Western is, and you, you know, you've got a good guy hero who's probably a white man who shoots bad guys to protect civilization. Who are probably engines. Everybody's always either good or bad. I mean, yeah. revisionist Western starts in the 1930s. Um, well, the, but then the production code happens. So, Well, then they become, um, what do they call them? Psychological Westerns or something like that. Where I mean, John Wayne did play. Let's, uh, the, we'll do a quick summary of the plot, which is uh, William H. Money was a bad man. Um, he's a better man who seems... It, feel it's all right to leave his two kids fending for themselves on the prairie for months at a time um he goes the reformed bad man uh goes to kill some people for money does that kills a load more people turns out he wasn't that reformed after all i suppose that's that's the plot summary it's not plot heavy particularly i, I think we'll, we'll dig rather more into it than that but yeah. yes it's a very small focus, and maybe that's one of the things. About but um, to go back to the point on revisionist Western, I mean, to the point where pretty much every Western I've ever seen is revisionist, mm-hmm. I guess, because I just, I, I'm not very experienced at the old clean white um, uh, uh, John Wayne um, kind of high noon style of Western. Most of the Westerns I've seen... As part of this, before we started recording, I watched The Wild Bunch, and that is that was basically right at the end of the the I'm going to call it the Hayes Code. Sorry, much too annoyed. <laughs> this this was right at the end. It, it was one of the films that um, finished off the Hayes Code, or, or came out immediately after it was done, um, and so they could be oh, here's got some violence and realism, and that it's not that much fun to actually be in the Old West. And, and that was '68. Yeah, I mean, about the same time, the spaghetti westerns. I'm the first thing, the thing that made Clint Eastwood a star. He, yes. He, I mean, he'd been in other stuff, but Fistful of Dollars, Few Dollars More, The Good, Bad and the Ugly, th- those are definitely revisionist by anybody else's standards. I mean, yeah, well, he's, he's, playing, the, he's playing the best guy in them, but that's yes, not to say he's, he's a good guy. 
That's right. They're anti-heroes. They're grey, if not mainly grey, with heavy hints of black through most of the spaghetti westerns um, that we have. Sergio Leone. Uh, speaking of Sergio, we have Once Upon the Time in the West with Henry Fonda, with who's an absolute bastard in that film. Uh, so. I suppose it, it... Yeah, the Admiral Josie Wales, Pale Rider, that he did between those and this. Those yes, are Eastwood that... again, so... Yeah, but there, as you say, there were plenty of Westerns. You know, John Wayne did The Searchers. Um, mm. He did revisionist Westerns towards the end of his life, where True Grit, um, where he's not a hero necessarily, where he's basically a racist bully, as I recall in The Searchers. Um, uh, so, I, it begs I the question... The, you know, the classic Western story, I think, had largely been done. There are only so many ways you can ring the changes on that. Exactly. So, And they had been... Yes, so it begs the question, what is it about Unforgiven, then, that was so revisionist, that was so... I, I don't... I agree with you. It, it came along as, this is a Western to change how you feel about Westerns. That That seemed to be how it was either marketed or talked about. So what is it about Unforgiven that... Well, one, is that true of Unforgiven? And two, what is it about Unforgiven that made people think that, if it is or isn't? I'm not sure that it's justified. I mean, there's something to it, but... Uh, some of that, perhaps, that uh, Clint Eastwood had been having a relatively low phase of his career for a while. Uh well, he, he'd had the script from Forgiven for many years, and yeah, rumours differ on whether it's, it's a seventies one, I believe. Yes, it's um, I've forgotten his name, Mario Peebles, is it? Who wrote the script? David Peebles. Yeah, I'm getting confused between him and the guy who wrote Superman. I'm terribly sorry, um, but uh, he who had also written Blade Runner, I believe, and uh, a number of other scripts, but this one. Mr. Eastwood, Clint, <laughs> um, had for many years and didn't really discuss it with David Peebles. He just went on and made it. If rumours are to believe when he felt he was old enough to make it. So he was trying mm. to make it earlier, but thought he was too well, young. Well, that, that is a, is a dividing line. This was the first film I saw with, um, Clint Eastwood admitting that he is getting on a bit. A, on screen. Yes. I know. I've no idea what he was like in person. Um, but, <laughs> it know, feels like he's been doing that forever now. But I agree. This is the first film where well, he was con- an old contrast, guy. Contrast, you know, in 1988, the Deadpool, uh, the last of the Dirty Harry films. He is still basically being the action hero. I mean, yeah, he's an action hero who is a mature man, yeah, not a kid. But there is no suggestion that he is getting too old for this. To, to quote from another film of series of about this time. Um, <laughs> so. Um, Whereas this is all about um, how old and what a has-been he is. Um, well, it's all about it until it isn't. But well, we'll come th- that, that, that is the thing worth considering. I mean, th- this is a film in which he is directing and producing and starring. Not not the first time he'd done that. I mean, he, I think the first may have been Firefox, 10 that years ago. That rings earlier. a bell. But anyway, I mean, I, th- I think it's probably I fairly safe to say that the impression you get of his character is pretty much the impression he wanted you to get. Yes, yeah. And yeah nobody else is going to come along and say, no, I think you should be doing this. It's interesting because uh, he's not really, at least in the beginning, he doesn't seem like an aged version of The Man With No Name. Because, you know, The Man With No Name is all completely cool. Um, his hero in the spaghetti westerns, or his mm. anti-hero, or whatever. Uh, there's, uh, you know, here he's um, he's a bit 
dim, frankly. He's a bit of a klutz. He's, uh, he's not really uh, much about anything, really. He doesn't seem any use at all. Um, I think the doesn't... suggestion is that, well, in, in part, it, it's that he's got out of, you know, in, back in the bad old days, he was doing this stuff all the time, so he was completely yeah. in practice with it. Yeah, which is and drunk in, most of the time, as he yeah, said. which is fine in terms of mounting the horse. But when it, when it comes to handling the animals, is that just saying, well, he's just no good as a farmer? Uh, I guess. Well, that's what it seems to be implying. That he's just not suited for the uh, the the normal life. But I don't. I don't. I, my problem, to some extent, with I, I well, let's get it out of the way first. I do. I didn't enjoy Unforgiven that much the first time. And hmm. I think you've said similar off air. You weren't that impressed with it yeah, the first time. Yeah, I, I liked it. it more this time. I don't love it, but I liked it more. It feels to me a film that really needs you to know other Westerns to understand what it's trying to say with this Western. Because taken on its own, out of context, it's it's a slightly strange film, I think, in that it's hmm. just just a... It's almost like a, initially at least, like a Ken Loach documentary of the West and how miserable <laughs> it is, and um, just it doesn't really seem to be quite going anywhere or doing anything. But if you've seen other westerns, you're like, holy crap! That you know he's falling, he's fallen over by a pig, and this is a uh, uh, this is not how cowboys were treated in older films, and this is not the way the sheriff would normally behave, and this is not... It's all about, I mean, in the initial phase, it's all about the huge contrast between the mythologising of the West and the reality. Mm-hmm. Other films have done that, though, but I... Uh, and that, in a way, is... I didn't know much about the mythologising of the West when I first watched this film. And so... Yeah. Is that, is that quite the first have... time Eastwood specifically had taken that on? Well, maybe... I, I suppose I was going to posit that as, a, as an argument. Maybe that's why this film is thought of as the revisionist Western. And I suppose... If you say revisionist Western, it probably is the first film that comes to my mind, which is not... And, and in part simply because it was a huge commercial success, to be fair. So yeah. it's a film that's yeah fairly high on the things one thinks of. And I wonder if it's because it was the first time Clint had... I mean, the spaghetti westerns, and I hope that's not... I think it started as a derogatory term. I don't think it's considered derogatory nowadays, but I hope mm. it isn't. Um, but they were larger than life, and they were quite cinematic, even though they had this moral grey area that the original... Uh, westerns didn't whereas unforgiven is much smaller scope and it's gritty well it's not gritty it's just it's realistic in the same way that monty python's holy grail is realistic in that everyone's just got shit all over them and it's miserable and it's wet and people are not having a great time um you it catch still a looks... cold because you were riding in the rain for several days that kind of exactly thing. Yeah. and nearly die from it um and people get uh, prostitutes get cut up for, well, we can talk about the reason for, because I want to come on to manliness a bit in this film. Um, but, I, I think, uh, yeah, I think that's, to me, that is the core of what this film is about. Yes, I, I th- as opposed to how it tells the story. I wouldn't have thought that until the ending. And mm. the ending just, I feel like the ending spoils Unforgiven. If I, well, I don't want to get too far along it, but yeah, I, well, I feel shall, like. Shall we talk about some, some of the other acting? Um, yes. The, the guy yes. who really impressed me this time, and, and he really made no impression on me at all on first watching was Sir Anthony James, Skinny Dubois, the pimp, the, the brothel owner. Oh, really? Because um, he's, I... he's got this really interesting face. 
Yeah. And yeah. I, I don't think I've seen him in anything. So this was actually his last acting role, he, but he'd done a lot of westerns. Uh, he, he was a regular bit part in Gunsmoke, that kind of thing. I have um, seen so, him in it. He's in um, The Naked Gun two and a half, as I remember. <laughs> um, yeah. But anyway, otherwise, yes. Yeah, that, that's a fine acting role. I, didn't, I wouldn't have singled it out. As a, as a... Well, it, it just impressed me. Why haven't I... And I, I actually meant to mention this uh, last week when we were talking about the Terminator films. Um, yes. Why, why haven't we seen Joe Morton? In a whole bunch of other things. Oh, uh, as in um, the uh, the guy they have to kill to save the future. Yeah, and I've forgotten his name in, in it, film. It, it's now, not but yeah. it's not a particularly demanding job, but he does it really well. He has the screen presence. He doesn't fade next to the big stars. And okay, and you felt similarly here. Yeah, yeah. Just a really interesting face. This is a face I want to look at more. I would be happy to see more films with this person in them. He is uh, well. I don't want to get in trouble, but I, he's a bit like I, in Watchmen. They describe Rorschach as fascinatingly ugly, um, which yeah. <laughs> I feel is, is a bit of what we've got here. I, certainly, an interesting, weathered, and very expressive face. Um, and you mentioned the other. I mean, he there's some heavyweights in here. We have Gene Hackman, mm. um, who, who can Harris. do plain and simple evil in his sleep. Yeah, but he's but he doing does something a, more a bit interest- more interesting. Yeah, he does. He does a much more interesting job here in that it's not really, in a way, again. Uh, the ending spoils this because little Bill is an interesting character because really all he wants to do is, is just relax on his porch and watch the sunset. And you can, you can understand why he's doing everything he does. There's a great moment when he's, um, cause it's like the first time you see, oh, actually he's going a bit far to protect the town that maybe you need to do when he's beating up um, Richard Harris's character. Mm. Uh, and there's a moment like of stunned silence around when everyone's like, was that what did we just do and you just the expression on his face is you can see it in him in gene hackman's character in little bill he knows he's gone too far and he doesn't quite know why and probably there's a part of him that really quite enjoyed it um and i and just then, think he gets that across very well yeah the, the thing that follows on from that in the, in the jailhouse scene he is taking apart the legend of english bob in front of his biographer and that that is that that doesn't help him that's just pulling wings off flies but he's enjoying yes. it so yes. it's it's that tension between I just want a quiet life and I do actually enjoy bullying people until they're completely destroyed. That I'm not sure is completely uh, consistent, but yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, he's got a job to do. He takes it seriously. He, all the things he does, you could argue he's doing just to protect his town, but he does it well enough and just maliciously enough that it's like. Hang on, that's that's probably a bit more excessive than we needed, and it's it's really nice. I mean, Gene Hackman is a, a fine actor, as I'm not the first person to say, and I think he does a fantastic job here. Hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I really like Little Bill. Again, we'll come on to the ending, but I feel the ending spoils it by almost making him an out and out villain to the point where it just becomes less of a moral grey area. Doesn't quite, but it, it becomes. It, it almost spoils it. I think Gene Hackman, I mean, after this film, Gene Hackman was like, I'm not doing violent films again. I'm sick of violent films. And mm. that's, you know, there's a lot to be said for that, particularly after the ending of Unforgiven. Mm. Um, of course, we have Morgan Freeman as well. I don't mm. think we've discussed before. Yeah. Uh, um, long career. This is not, you know, the beginning or the end of it. No. Uh, he's, hmm. I don't know. He he never really grabs my attention, but then I, no. I look back afterwards and think, yeah, he did the exact right thing there. 
he did. He's an interesting. Uh, in a way, I agree that he's not quite forgettable, but he's not really. Well, arguably, uh, that's a that's a harder thing to do as an actor. So, I mean, any, yeah. anybody can be a star. Yes, he's um, he's in a way the least interesting character because he's kind of the the good person. He's he's almost like the innocent, not quite because the kid's the innocent, but he's the you know the the unambiguously good person. Um. And in a way, he's not the most interesting character. The most interesting thing about him is what he motivates the other characters to do. But it's, it, he is, I mean, Morgan Freeman is a charismatic, likable screen presence and hmm. he's charismatic and likable here and he needs to be for the story to work. I don't know that he does stellar acting here because uh, he's basically being Morgan Freeman, but <laughs> he's very good at doing that. <laughs> That's his job. Um, so I, I like, I don't feel he quite interested me in the way that either Clint Eastwood did or um Gene Hackman did or the kid the kids are like I mean all the characters are very set up to comment on the myth versus the reality mm. we have you know Clint's character William Money is the one who doesn't play up his myth but kind of is the most mythological of all of them in the sense that he's the one really who does live up to the legend with, even with though the he play motivational up. dead wife uh, yes, of course. <laughs> well, she's not motivational for the story, I suppose. But um, and then we have uh, um, gentleman. I forgot his name. Now, gentleman Bill Richard Harris, English Bob. Thank you. I'm thinking of um, Goodfellas. Um, uh, we have English Bob who plays up to his legend, but really doesn't live up to it. And then Little Bill, who doesn't well, have e- the English legend. English Bob has the skills, but he doesn't have the meanness. Uh, yes. Yeah. And. Um, Little Bill kind of has the meanness and the skills, but doesn't really have the legend. But they're all commenting on this this kind of reality. And the kid is the one who is, you know, I am the legend. You know, he's talking the talk, but he can't walk the walk. So, in a way that when you start to see it in those terms, and I think he's very well acted. Sorry, I didn't mean to be. I I don't know the actor. I didn't look it up before we started. <laughs> but he, once you start to see it in those terms. It starts to feel a little mechanistic, you know, that they really are all commenting. And I think that's, I think the fact that it really is trying to comment on a lot of different aspects, and I think it really is consciously doing that. Mm. The fact that when I first saw it, I wasn't very aware of the things that it was commenting on. That's why when I first saw it, I was a bit underwhelmed. I felt it was interesting and gripping. And I think I said to you off air when I first saw it, it never really added up to more than the sum of its parts. And it feels like it really should. Mm. And I think knowing more about Westerns, it probably does a bit now. It, it certainly helps, yeah. But I I can see why I felt that the first time. By itself, on its own, as a story, it's a little strange and a little hollow. And it's really just telling you how horrible it is to shoot someone. <laughs> um uh, but let, let, yeah. let's just mention in passing, um, what do they call him? Beauchamp, the, 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 the journalist, the writer. The, oh, the, yes. The, basically the audience. Yes. Yeah. The uh, audience character. Played by Saul Rubinek, whom I absolutely did not recognize, even now having oh. seen him in quite a lot of other things. Oh, really? I did, I did recognize, I know him, uh, yeah, I, I recognize him straight away, but I, he's a very good, he's very good here. He's very different in mm. a lot of other things I've seen him in, certainly. Yeah, good jobbing, flexible actor, so. Yes. I, I do notice that, you know, as far as screen time and character development goes, most of the people are old men. Most of the, most of the people we're meant to regard as interesting are old men. 
Those are yes. the, those are the people that the Eastwood Vision sees. <laughs> and the, I mean, the women are all hookers or dead. As far as I can tell in, in this film, I can't remember any other female. Oh, we have Ned's wife. Uh, yeah. well, let, let, let's turn, use the term wife loosely. One suspects there may not be actual, you know, formal ceremonies involved. Right, yes, but Ned's partner. Um, but the, the women in it are, although they're well acted and they're given some time, they're ultimately shown to be foolish, um, and getting people killed. Um, even they were, and victims. So they're victims, or, or when they try and step into the man's world, they get it wrong, and they get people killed. And I, uh, I, I don't know how I feel about that particularly. Well, I, I thought that there was, yes, I, I, I'm agreeing with that. Um, in, in that uh, early scene with Strawberry Alice, where, you know, the sheriff has turned up, and he's saying, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll stick him in jail, we'll, we'll, We'll raise a fine, uh, we'll get him whipped, whatever. He's, he's suggesting yeah. these various things, and she's saying, that won't fix it, my girl's still cut. Yeah, well, what do you want done with him? You know, yeah. string him up by his balls. It's still, they're still your girl is still going to be cut. Yes. And oh, I'm, I'm not saying that there is no injury, obviously. Um, I'm just feeling that she, what she is proposing is not a thing that can be sensibly answered. Well, and I she, feel she, that she, she's just saying that's not good enough to everything, and she will say that to anything that is proposed because nothing that is proposed will be good enough. Therefore, and, ha- even assuming a little Bill who is not evil, yes, he just can't take that into account. There is nothing he can do that will satisfy that. I mean, if you um, start from, all right, th- this damage is done and it can't be undone. Yeah, so. All right, what uh, what would she take in her in the rest of her career? That's the sort of money we ought to be talking yeah. about. That kind of thing, and not, she wouldn't get it, obviously, because because a cowhand isn't going to have that kind of money. But it would be a starting point in terms of she would have had a career. Now she isn't going to. That's a that's a description of the sort of damage that's done, and, that, and in a way that start can start to go towards, you know. Yes, and I feel. Um... I suppose that's what I mean in the sense that because of that, because, and you're quite right, you know, and, and you see little Bill's exasperation. It's like, well, what, what am I supposed to do here? You know, mm. um, but I feel like the women are therefore consistently portrayed as irrational mm, I agree. and emotional, um, and not, and, and, and meddling in affairs that they shouldn't meddle in. Um, and I don't, I don't know quite how I feel about that because the, the men are, the men are not treated in quite that way, and it, it, there are no women that aren't behaving like that, so it's hard to know. I, I mean, certainly, you know, women can behave like women can be irrational and emotional, and so can men, and you can certainly have characters like that, but all we get of all the women are this kind of... In fact, the only... Interesting, the only one that isn't really portrayed, portrayed like that is um, uh, the girl, uh, the, the prostitute who's cut up herself. But then she's portrayed as sort of an angel type character so again she feels a little cliched well um, the, the thing about that is she gets two thirds of a subplot as I see it there is the scene out, out at the camp yeah. uh, where she offers herself to uh, William. Our, our man William and he says no because of my wife and that's fine yes. and then a bit later on uh, she learns no his wife is not alive yes and the, the, the that's two parts of a three-part, and then we well, don't see her again. There I is never think. a resolution. She she never either thinks 
gosh, what a nice guy, faithful to his dead wife, or anything else. There's just, it never comes out. She just watches adoringly while he rides off, same as everybody else. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yes, I agree. I, I feel the women are given short shrift. Um, I suppose we should mention it probably does pass the Bechdel test. That, though I don't know, if you're talking about hiring assassins to kill someone who's, I don't, it probably does technical pass. But it, I don't <laughs> feel like the women are well served in this film. Well, but th- it, those assassins are, let us know, at all male. Well, I was going to say, there's a reason I feel that women are not, because this is a film about manliness and being male, uh, I would say, isn't it? Mm. I, it? It's all about, you know, William Money lost it, but he still got it. Kid wants it, never had it. Little Bill has it, which is why he's a worthy adversary. English Bob Never had it, um, even though he's got the skills and talent. And our, you know, Beauchamp doesn't have the manly. And I feel, again, you can do it in terms of the legend, but you do also look at the film in terms of what it is to be a man. And that, mm. that doesn't feel that revisionist to me, because that feels like what a lot of westerns were about. Well, the, the time. This, this is where I feel that it does a bit of a bait and switch, because mm. in portraying the grotty world, Yes. It seems to be saying, uh, particularly in the early scenes where reminiscing about how, how I was very drunk and I killed that guy for no reason and so on. It, yeah. seems, it seems to be saying that, no, the, the, the ideal of manliness was also pretty, pretty bad and it just looks good in retrospect. I agree. And, and if yet, the whole film what, had been there, I think I would have much more respect for and, it. And yet the, the, the plot overall is that actual success, uh, one could say narrative success and getting what you want in terms of the plot, comes yeah. specifically from being violently manly and not and from avoiding all distractions in the process of being violently manly. Um yes. a, a, a yeah. lo- loyal fan yeah. with with whom I, I had a quick chat about this suggested that perhaps you also need to be violently manly and unhappy. <laughs> no well I yeah, I think that's a very good way of putting it. I, I bait and switch I think is a very good way of describing how I feel about Unforgiven nowadays. I'm not sure I felt that the first time round. But mm. this time uh, and now I have seen it before, but this time I felt the whole film was waiting for Clint to become a full Clint. It just, yeah. it just really pushed how useless he was the whole time. Uh, until. Well, particularly in, in those early scenes, he, he's, I mean, as an acting job, it's pretty good. He, he's yes. suggesting that he's, he's desperate to believe that he isn't that guy anymore, that he is something better than that. Yes. Um, and the kid is obviously, you know, yeah, hell, were we really that young, stupid, as stupid back <laughs> in the day? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but as it turns out, yeah, what, it, what he has to do. And let, let us note that when he does go back to the guy he was back in the day. Yeah. It is not because they cut up women. It's because they killed my friend. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the, I mean, so everything leading up to, you know, the killing of the two cowboys that they've been hired to kill, I I like, you know, it's all really sad and everyone's like, oh, shit, this is awkward. And, oh, God, give him some water for God's sake. And, oh, I shot him in the toilet and it's off. I just, I, all of that about how crap it is to kill someone and how mm-hmm. you can't take it back and... Uh, in a way, it's a little bit heavy hand. I do particularly feel the scene with the cowboy, you know, that they shoot in the gut. And he's like, oh, I'm dying. I feel maybe that lays it on a bit thick, mm. maybe. But I like the sentiment that, you know, this is what it means to go and kill someone. And this is what it's like. But then I feel it just, so it's earned all that 
interest in me and and, the, and that I feel all of that is what you would call revisionist in that it's like no forget the movies this is what it was like mm-hmm. and um and then in the end he just kicks his way into a bar shoots I don't know seven eight nine people all of whom are trying to shoot at him at the same time mm-hmm. doesn't take a scratch and just it just basically. When I said earlier on, he's not the man with, he's not the old version of the man with no name. He isn't believably that character as an old guy, I don't feel. But, mm. in the last scene, he is the man with no name. He's just exactly that character. Yeah. He just, on unre- remorseless killing machine, um, that cannot be stopped. He's basically the Terminator again at the <laughs> end. Um, uh, let, let's just, um, remember that I, I've read accounts, uh, bas- basically get, getting actual accounts of weapon accuracy in the Old West is hard because, you know, obviously everybody had a story to tell. Yeah. But I, yeah. I have read one reasonably well attested case of four guys are sitting, sitting at a small table playing poker when they decide that one or more of them is cheating. Uh, each of them has two loaded six shooters. All the guns are emptied and nobody gets hit. Yeah. Now, the, well, this may say more about the quality of the whiskey, but... But you can't have it both ways. They can't all mm. miss and he can hit everyone first time. Sure. I mean, I, I mean, you can in an iconic Western <laughs> where he's a legendary... But the whole film has spent the whole time deconstructing that. And exactly as you say, it's like a bait and switch. And no, actually... You can do it if you've really got true grit and you can do it and you're a real hero and you're really angry that your friend's been killed and you're Clint Eastwood and you're very unhappy. Then you can shoot up a whole bar full of people and kill everyone you want and get the, well, not really get the girl, but <laughs> and win win the narrative victory, as you put it. And that to me, that last scene just edges out of reality into... I don't know what it's trying to say, really, other than real manly men can do it after all. I, I think that is what me. it comes down to in the end. Yeah. It, it's, it's not a message that I'm particularly impressed by, but I think that is what, what Eastwood is saying here. Uh, I, I gather that uh, the sort of people who worry about culture getting less manly took this took up this film as some, something of a banner uh, over the next few years, possibly because of that. <laughs> well, that's a depressing thought. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's, that's my feeling of unforgiven overall, that this, yeah, that it, uh, it pretend, it, it lures you into thinking, no, it's, it, uh, yeah, that, that this is, this is not how it was. And then it, then it suddenly, sw- no, we're back in spaghetti western territory after all. Um, you just had to drudge through all this misery to get here. <laughs> <laughs> and dr- that's mean, because I do, I found, a lot of the scenes very compelling. Uh, again, that tension is what I find most exciting in films, which is why I like Tarantino films. He's very good at that. But, you know, the tension when you don't quite know what little Bill's going to do with um, Gentleman Bob. Mm-hmm. Did I get the name right? English Bob. Um, English Bob. God damn it. Um, uh, with <laughs> English Bob, either outside um, or in the jail cell. Um, the tension with... You know, the difference with Clint when he's at the table with the fever and they just easily beat the crap out of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it, I love all that. I, uh, to me, all the tension dissipates when it turns into superhero gunslinger and I'm just not as interested then. Yeah. But, but there we are. I, I, uh, I, I, it's a very pretty film. We've seen a lot of beautifully shot. Mm. I mean, he knows his America. Yeah. And... But it does it in a way that isn't like, it doesn't have to be expansive. It, it still feels like a small film, 
but it it feels real and very beautiful. The plains and the prairies and the yeah. The other thing I notice on on a technical note um, is that the the guy who gets uh, shot in among the rocks, we can now get that camera in among the rocks, which you really can't easily do in the sixties and even to some extent the seventies. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Look, look at how much of the action. And, of old westerns tends to be you know, in town on the plains with a few things to hide behind, but now no, well, now we can actually get in among the rough terrain and that's there too. I suppose what you would see in old westerns is like someone jumping up from behind a rock and shooting a couple of times and dropping out and that's it. Whereas hmm. now we yeah we see their point of view, we see down in the valley. Um, I, I thought that was a very good scene, although yeah I feel a bit over the top. Well, one thing um, I did find a slight misstep, and maybe it's just me, is. In the early scenes where we're flipping back and forth between, uh, Clint on his farm and leaving the farm and, yeah. uh, the prostitutes and the town immediately after they offer the bounty. And I, I felt there wasn't really much queuing of the changes. Um, yeah. it all looked kind of similar. I mean, you can, you can work it out as each scene progresses by who's in it, but I don't know. It, it just felt a we bit felt... disorientating. And quite slow, I guess, at the beginning as well. Uh, and while you're, yeah, I agree. I, I try while not to still... object to slow. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, maybe, you know, we do appreciate a well-edited film and maybe, yeah, just when you're sort of starting to get your bearings, then, um, English Bob, yes, English Bob turns up. Is that right? <laughs> yep. I got it right. English Bob turns up and you, you have to sort of get used to that as well and you're not quite sure what's going on there. Um, yeah, it's a sl- it's quite a slow film overall considering not, not a load happens in it. Mm. Uh, and most of the action is in the last sort of 20 minutes, 30 minutes or so. Um, but that's alright. I mean, a lot of films have that rhythm, but, um, uh, most of the shooting happens in the last five minutes. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I'd like, um, how did you feel about the score? Did you notice the score? Uh, I did, but not really in a good way. It's by Lenny yeah. Niehaus, which isn't a name I've come across before. Um, but that, that, particular style of largely unaccompanied guitar and you know not yeah. not in a particularly western mode it actually reminded me of um say mark knopfler in princess bride or local hero yes um, it's not bad it just doesn't really to me seem to fit the i mean this is a western you kind of uh, you kind of expect it to be almost contemporary music in a western or western music or something and it doesn't have to be or, or the twangy stuff uh, yeah, maybe with a harmonica, or yeah, and I, I'm sure there's imaginative ways of not doing that and using I don't know 80 synth or something like that. But <laughs> um, I, I felt that this score could have applied to a bunch of different films in different periods yeah. and didn't really have tag in anything other than well, yeah, this is a nice big landscape, isn't it? I'm, I, I followed sort of your rule and thought if I notice it, that's probably a bad thing. And there were a couple of wilderness uh, landscape shots where I was like. Oh, and there's music too, and I'm supposed to feel uplifted by the music, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I agree with you. The score was, um, underwhelming. Though I, I think actually Clint Eastwood wrote some of the music of it in the film as well, as well as producing and directing and writing. Um, I'm sure the bits he did, I liked uh, very much. But, <laughs> um, I, I don't think he wrote the score so much as maybe some of the songs in it or some of the in, some of the in uh film songs, what do you call that when it's uh I Diegetic music? Diegetic is the word I was searching for. Um I think maybe he wrote some of that, but I don't particularly remember any of it, so I can't 
mm. comment on it. And he, he got a fair bit of work through the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, so, yeah. It gets the job done, it just, yeah. It's not, doesn't, buy, doesn't, I, it, I, I wouldn't buy the soundtrack in this. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, and I'm not sure if I heard the soundtrack, I would remember what film it was from. Um, and I don't know, maybe that's not a bad thing, but I, it, it felt a bit cliched, not intrusive so much as, uh, well, it, bland. It, it's kind of like playing music in a restaurant. Yeah. For me, yeah. which is not a thing I particularly like, so. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so we talked about the cinematography, the direction. Again, it's hard that Clint Eastwood obviously has his stamp all over this film. It's very, Competently directed, very well acted. It's yeah, um, clearly knows what he's doing. He, he's not a new director. He's not a new producer. And what what did he? Uh, first film he directed was in seventy one. Play Misty okay. for me. So you know, play Misty for me. Oh yeah, I haven't seen that for a while. That's a good. Film. Um, yeah, and and since then, I mean, it's obviously these are obviously themes he's gone on to develop in later films, you know, uh, his age, particularly, but also violence and the repercussions of violence. And I hmm. think he probably studies it better elsewhere than Unforgiven, uh, probably in less famous, like Million Dollar Baby and Gran, Gran Torino, I think. Um, I think they're both better studies of violence than Unforgiven. Hmm. But this is a film that's all about deconstructing I think my summary of Unforgiven be it deconstructs the Western myth and then builds it back up again at the end as a surprise. Um, <laughs> which yeah. I don't know how I feel. I enjoyed it. Uh, I, I feel uncomfortable about what it was trying to say to me a little bit. Hmm. Hmm. And uh, yeah, but the, the more, the more I poke at it, the more I think, yeah, you know, this, it's very much the way William Money sees everything. Yeah. Including yeah. seeing himself as the hero. At the end, you mean, when he... Yeah, okay. Oh, as the the guy who gets it right, when everybody else is getting it wrong. I'm wondering, uh, just uh, as we're talking, I'm wondering why we didn't spend as long on other films worrying about the moral mess. I suppose we did a bit with Back to the Future um, and, and other things like that, but it feels like well, it's I, because I th- Unforgiven is trying to give us... I mean, I- as we we both saw it as callow youths, and I think didn't really pick up on that. Yes, yeah. Um, and cer- certainly this time, I I found it very very straightforwardly. Um, yeah, th- this is the subject of yeah. Th- this is what you're supposed to be thinking about it. This is what you're supposed to be taking away from it. Yes, exactly. That, I mean, that feels like the whole point of the film, which is why I maybe felt it was a bit empty before because I did that sort of passed me by the mm. moral message. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you're right, and that probably is why it deserves discussion and dwelling on in uh, ways also, that we haven't with yeah, other films. Quick peek behind the curtain. Um, we were looking at other films in this year, you know, winning awards um, in, in David Thompson's book and so on. There weren't a lot that actually seemed terribly uh, interesting. <laughs> no, I must say, we even though we've both seen Unforgiven before, I, well, I think... Possibly we both felt, uh, we hadn't got as much out of it as we should have done, even though we'd both seen it before. And I'm glad, I'm glad to have watched it again now. Um, but it's never going to be a favourite of mine. It's certainly mm. very watchable, very well acted. Um, so should we move on to the question? Is it a masterpiece? It's certainly described as such a lot. It won four Oscars. It, what Oscars did it win? Uh, not the big four. Uh, it got picture and director. Uh, 
but not no. not in. Uh, it got supporting actor for Gene Hackman, but not um, lead actor for Eastwood. Right, and it, Willie film, and it got film editing, which you were just mentioning. So yeah, fair point. Okay, it got well. I didn't think it was as well edited as some of the other films we've seen, but yes, I guess not best soundtrack, but <laughs> <laughs> the best original score. Um, is it a masterpiece? Uh, it is. I'm not so sure. I feel it is. Looks and feels like a masterpiece. I'm not sure it's saying anything particularly original. As we discussed, you know, revisionist mm. westerns were nothing new. Um, uh, I, I'm still I, I think to... perhaps they they were new to a whole bunch, you know, what you might call a new generation of filmgoers who hadn't seen the 60s and the 70s revisionist westerns, perhaps. I suppose so. Maybe they'd grown up with black and white. So, I mean, I suppose the, the legend, the, the the spirit of John Wayne um, hangs heavily, and Gary Cooper and those kind of characters hang heavily over this stuff. I don't know that I knew anything about them, and I still haven't particularly seen a lot of well, either of their films. I, I don't know whether this is one of those things that may slip in, in the uh, few years between us, but when I was a kid, uh, a Western meant some, something on black and white on the television of a weekend when you might, might actually have wanted to watch something interesting. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, so it wasn't wasn't your favourite uh, thing. Um, yeah. But as to quite why it was the the revisionist western, I'm I'm still not entirely sure. It was probably the most commercially successful western mm. for quite well, some commercially time. and critically successful. Yeah, so it's very good. I, we're dancing around whether it was a masterpiece or not. I, I'm I'm not I'm not so sure. I think it's very good. I don't, was it influential? Which is our other yardstick by which we measure it by. Um, well, as you say, uh, Eastwood at least has, has returned to, to the conceptual well a few times. Yes, yeah. But can we say it's influential if it influences the person who did it? I don't Maybe that's just something they're interested in. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's certainly the inspiration for the Firefly episode, Heart of Gold. Uh, yes, okay. Um, and I suppose there's things like, uh, oh, what was that very sweary Western TV show that I never quite got around to watching? Um, <laughs> uh, with uh, Lovejoy in it, Ian McShane. Can't remember Deadwood. Deadwood is what I'm thinking about. Uh, I haven't seen Deadwood for a long time. I'm not sure. Uh, I I find it hard to say it was strongly influential, other than it was it revived a trend that was already going on hmm. uh, for realistic style western. Well, also th- this is the beginning of the '90s, and let's make everything darker. Exactly, <laughs> and, yes. and it's certainly contributing to that. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'm perhaps not well versed enough in Western law, but I, for me, I feel like it's part of a trend and it's a very good example of, uh, a revisionist Western, or at least mm. pretending to be a revisionist Western. But I don't know that it was, it probably was influential. I must have been that something that, mm, it's commercially and critically successful probably was influential, but, um, I don't know. I, it doesn't feel so to me compared to having seen a lot of other westerns of similar ilks nowadays. Yeah. Uh, just as a note of the years marching on, I don't know if this is the first film this is true for, but uh, this was released on DVD and VHS at the same time in 2002. Holy smokes. <laughs> that must be because Terminator 2 didn't come out on DVD for ages, as I recall. So it uh, must but, be. And a... that was out on VHS fairly quickly. 
It was, yeah. So I I have a feeling... Where was I in my life then? I was was at college. Um, Yeah, so... I don't remember DVDs being a college thing. They sort of... When I was a student, it was all VHS stuff, but then I was a poor student. (laughs) That must be a pretty early DVD, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, there we are. Yeah, shall we look at uh, 1992 in film? Yes, well, we've talked about the Academy Awards. What were the other winners of the Academy Awards? Uh, so, Best Actor went to Al Pacino for Scent of a Woman. Uh, oh, okay. That's actress, a good film. Emma Thompson in Howard's End. Uh, oh, yeah. Supporting actress was Marissa Tomei and My Cousin Vinny. Uh, Crying Game got oh. his original screenplay and then Aladdin. My Cousin Vinny got an Oscar, did it? <laughs> I mean, I like it. Well, I'm not sure it's Oscar worthy. She's very good in it, of course. Um, uh, Wow. And uh, look, look at the other awards, yeah, and it's mostly the same titles, but yeah, the, the player and Chaplin come in a little bit. Chaplin was around now, okay, alright. Uh, okay. Early Robert Downey Jr. Well, um, it's slightly later than Weird Science, which is why yeah. I remember it. <laughs> but yes. Yeah. So yeah, looking at the top ten, uh, at number ten, uh, one of the first films I actively despised. Oh goodness. Wayne's World. You actively despised it. I think it's, it may well be because it was the first film in which I actually noticed that, hang on, this female character really is nothing more than a prize for whichever of these men wins the dick measuring contest. Yeah, I suppose I should... Films have not aged in the, that The, the idea that she would have any sort of choice or preference of her own is simply never mentioned. No, she's just a prize in the... Yeah, that's a fair point, which I'm not going to argue with. I haven't seen it for a while. And that, but... that kind of swamped the rest of it for me. So. Yeah, well, fair enough. Yeah, fair point. Uh, number nine, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. <laughs> yeah. um... <laughs> I, I think uh... I've worked out why this comes out empty. Uh, he said at the time he was trying to re- re-envision Dracula as a sensual erotic dream, which implies that he had failed to notice the sensual erotic dream that is already there in <laughs> the book. Isn't it already one of those? All right, well done. Okay, yes, yeah, fair enough. I, I did see it at the cinema, didn't think much of it. It, it has some good visuals. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. It, uh, certainly, yeah, I still remember bits of it, uh, particularly Gary Oldman's hairdo in the early parts. <laughs> Uh, number eight, Sister Act, uh, which uh, okay. Bette Midler had turned down five years earlier. And it took... Oh, goodness. Um, alright, fair enough. I can't remember if I've actually seen it. I, I just feel like think I've seen it. I've seen it, but it left very little impression. Right. Uh, number seven, A Few Good Men. Do you know, I've never seen A Few Good Men. I should probably watch that at some point. Yeah, uh, Aaron Sorkin both writing and directing his own play. So Ooh, it does feel very Aaron Sorkin name, and yeah. yes. Yeah. Uh, number six, Batman Returns. Uh, this was the one that brought in Catwoman. Uh, I think probably I saw it. I think I saw it at the cinema. Um, it's all right. Tim Burton was wise not to do any more after that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, number five, Lethal Weapon three. Oh, I think I utterly lost interest by by then. Well, Is that but, the it, one? Is made that money the one for with the South African? No, that was two. Oh, that was two. I don't uh, remember three at all. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, well, it's, it's, it's not a great year as far as we're concerned. Uh, number four, Basic Instinct. Oh my goodness. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, number three, Home Alone 2. <laughs> oh, gee. <laughs> okay. 
don't watch that one, Roger. If you said it. <laughs> I wasn't planning to watch the original, and the original has something to be said for it. The original is better than the, this one. Yeah, uh, number two. This is where John Hughes ended up. Mm. Number two, The Bodyguard. Uh, Never seen that actually. There's a lot of these that I feel like I know, but I haven't actually seen, and don't really feel like I want to. Mm. And yeah, gosh, it's it's such a wonderful romantic tragedy. But I feel there is no shortage of stories like that. They just feel so nineties. These all feel so early nineties. I mean, obviously, but (laughs) it's not a vibe that I particularly like. They they have the stamp on them in a way that a late eighties film sometimes does, but maybe doesn't. Yeah, but I suppose I like the late 80s, mid 80s stamp. I don't really like the early 90s stamp. Maybe that's mm. why I'm disliking. And number one, uh, which has a bit of a story behind it, Aladdin. Aladdin, the Robin Williams. Now that is a film I've seen 368,000 times <laughs> because I have children. So um, yeah, they, they, this was uh, Robin Williams did a deal with Disney. Uh, a bad deal, as I recall. Well, uh, it was a good deal as, as far as he was concerned, in theory. Because uh, it was just voiceover work. Yeah, because he, he wanted to promote... Uh, he, he didn't want it promoted over toys, which was the thing he was working on as much more a close-to-the-heart project for him. Okay, yeah. Uh, so he basically said, I will work for scale on condition that you do not use my name in the marketing, you do not have the genie bigger than the other characters, and that kind of thing. Don't. Because he didn't want people saying, you know, there are two Robin Williams films, which one will I go and see? Which is right, yeah. Which, I, and yeah. Bas- basically, Disney broke every clause in that. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, but except the one where they didn't pay him as much, presumably. I, did he take them to court over Aladdin? In, yeah, I don't think. It, I think I, this was one of the big reasons why he had a massive fallout with the House of Mouse. Yeah, I, I think he got something in the end, but not a whole lot. Well, this was in the era when voiceovers were not considered to be money makers, mm. and then Aladdin made a ton of money. Yeah, interesting. Yes, I don't really know the story behind it, except yes, I know that it was caused some trumps. <laughs> it won't move mm. And Disney came out of it uh, looking like uh, I'm not going to say on it, <laughs> but <laughs> they've proved it many times since as well. Which is uh, look, look as if nothing would stick to them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, there we are. That draws a close to our 99. I was going to do that in a Western draw, and I've, I've gone halfway there and given up. Um, uh, to our 19, uh, inaugural 1992 episode. Yeah, we're look, looking at some other films for later in the year, but with, with less artistic pretension, I think it's fair to say. Yes, yeah. Uh, maybe less rain. We'll see. <laughs> Uh, Alright, cheery bye Roger, cheery bye everyone I've edited just about everything that walks or crawls at one time or another And I'm here <laughs> to edit you Oh my god, that was worryingly menacing <laughs>